G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode number 94 of the Outback Mine podcast. Thanks so much for joining in once again, guys. Um, really special guest on with me again today. Um, a lot of you uh, that uh, follow AFL would uh no, a man by the name of Gavin Krasiska. Gavin played uh, 14 years with Collingwood uh, as a pivotal part of their, their senior team, played the 1990 Premiership uh, after his playing career, uh, commenced coaching um, in uh, various capacities, assistant coach with North Melbourne, uh, Hawthorne, um, and one other club from memory, but also had some stints um, coaching uh, with North Ballarat and uh, also some other uh, smaller clubs uh, throughout um, Victoria. So uh, Gavin has, uh, has offered up his time to come on and have a chat. Now Gavin uh, came out recently and sort of uh, disclosed that he had a, a long battle with, uh, with alcohol and, and drugs, um, uh, which stemmed from his youth. Uh, he grew up in, in regional uh, Queensland and um, Battled, uh, battled basically up until a year or two ago with it um, uh, and also had that battle throughout his playing career. So miraculously, he was able to uh, sustain um, a high level of, uh, of sporting prowess, but also through his coaching career was able to, I suppose, mask uh, what was going on with regards uh, underneath, um, um, you know, I suppose what was on the surface, which uh, is pretty uh, relevant and common to to a lot of us out there. You know, a lot of us are battling with things that we uh, we aren't um, always, uh, you know, uh, I suppose brave enough sometimes to uh, to come out and talk about. But um, you know, that can all happen uh, within our own time. And you know, Gavin basically had an ultimatum uh, from his wife a couple of years ago to uh, to start to make some changes, and he um, he bravely did that. So uh, since then, he's he's been able to work into uh, helping others. He's got a, an organisation which he's a director of, which is called Sober Living Rehab, which he uh, basically uh, founded a few years ago with some other guys, and uh, they work to help people um, staff drugs and alcohol and so forth, and he'll tell us a bit more about that today. We're going to talk about his own journey, um, what it sort of looked like for him, how it sort of started for him, and how he's basically cleaned himself up and got himself to where he is now. So Really appreciate you sharing this podcast. I think it's going to help a lot of people and I appreciate your feedback. Just want to make special mention to our primary partners, Green Nutritionals, who provide green organic superfoods. So if you are lacking something in your diet, please check out their products. They're really wonderful and awesome, um, all natural, organic. So uh, please forget to check out their website, greennutritionals.com.au. Also, we get some support from Pure Life Organic Bakery who provide organic sprouted bread. So when the grain in bread is sprouted, the digestion process in our bodies works a lot better. Uh, their breads are absolutely beautiful and delicious. They're available all around Australia. So please check out their website, purelifebakery.com.au. Alrighty, uh, sit back and listen to this one. It's going to be a pretty deep, uh, meaningful conversation. I uh, hope you enjoy it. As I said, please uh, provide some feedback and please share with others that you may uh, feel might find this helpful. What about you? Gavin Krasiska, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We finally got here. Yeah, mate. Really, really grateful. I, I know you're struggling down there in Melbourne at the moment, but uh, keep hanging in there, mate. I think it's hopefully about to turn the corner with a bit of luck, so... 
Yeah, look, you never know with the, the governments and so forth. I'm sort of one of those ones that believes in just let's get moving. And, you know, my daughter's just gone to LA to go to college and, you know, they have thousands of cases a day and mm. hundreds of deaths and they're running as normal. So yeah. it seems really strange how we're going about. But anyway, I'll just some of rule follow us, so I'll just follow the rules as much as I can and try not to get the shits too much about it. <laughs> That's it, mate. Yeah, I, it, it can be tricky as, as, as um, you know, I mentioned I'm sort of out of it, I'm, well, gratefully, but I'm really, really, uh, you know, feeling it for people that I know down there. I'm from Victoria, obviously, and, um, yeah, uh, there's lots of people down there that are, that are doing it tough, so uh, at least this podcast yeah. can certainly help people, mate, and that's, that's you know, the main reason we're doing it, so. Well, it's probably going to help me as well, so... Let's fire away. <laughs> Appreciate it, mate. Now, let's talk a bit about you uh, as a young fella. Obviously, you know, your, your, your parents sort of sprung from out uh, west uh, Queensland, Toowoomba way. You sort of uh, got brought up, um, I suppose, uh, with traditional values and, and sort of got into footy uh, as a pretty talented youngster there uh, and were identified at a fairly young age. Is that right? Um, look, yeah, we, we, we didn't certainly didn't have money. Mum and Dad were... Um, you know, Dad worked and Mum did a, you know, she ironed for, for people and had a crew of people she used to do ironing for. You know, she ironed for six, seven, eight hours a day to, to just get that extra money. And so, um, you know, we, we came from a very average, I guess, um, um, upbringing and, and family environment. The, the main thing that I remember is obviously, um, and I had no understanding of it back then, but just the, you know, Dad's drinking and the alcoholism and, uh, you know, mum drank a bit as well, but wasn't quite as bad as what dad was. And, mm. you know, just that, um, I guess, that father that was removed from the family. And um, and that was simply because of his alcohol and his, and his addiction to alcohol. And, mm. you know, I didn't really know that at the stage. It took me, obviously, uh, a fair bit of time later in my life to find it myself. But I worked it out and, you know, I put my story together a little bit clearer then. Um, but, yeah, footy was an escape for me. You know, I... I relate to the um, restless, irritable and discontent, alcoholic, addict, whatever you want to call it, uh, where I was pretty uncomfortable um, as, a, as a young fellow, like as a, a six, seven-year-old, I, I just didn't feel like I fit in. And, um, and, I, and I, when I speak to footy clubs and that sort of stuff, I always say that I felt like a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the only time I didn't feel that way was, was when I was playing footy. Um, so as a young fellow, yeah, I just... Jumped into it. I was obviously probably ADHD and pretty energetic, and um, and gave it more and always had a footy in my hands and that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, being from a non-footy you know, state like Queensland, uh, I was you know had a, enough skill and ability where I stood out probably from the under twelves, I reckon onwards. Um, so that's sort of where the the footy component come from. But I just couldn't get enough of sport and and what I was doing. But I again, I look back and I think that was just me avoiding. Um, the, the internal discomfort that I was feeling as a kid and it, uh, it, it enabled me to escape and so forth. So, um, and I guess the, the, the next time I really felt that relief, so I'm getting a bit of relief from playing footy and then the next time I felt that relief was, I think I was 16, uh, when I first drank for the, um, my bottle of Bundy rum for the first time and I started smoking a bit of dope and, mm. and that was the, the one that really um, gave me the solution to my, what I thought was... Uh, uh, the problem so it was um yeah it's interesting during obviously you have no knowledge of what's going on for you and it's all on reflection now that i've got well and and how it sort of um transpired but also had a, 
a father who wasn't present in, present in my life and uh, broken family, you know, mum and dad separated and divorced probably, you know, by the time I was 15. So all those little trauma events obviously escalated and, and affected my vulnerable brain. Mm. Um, and I found, I found what worked for me, and that was alcohol to start with. Cannabis was the one that stayed with me uh, for the entirety of my addiction, and, and then I moved on to bigger and better things as I went. Mm. Yeah, mate, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for sharing. Um, yeah, lots of things were present for me as you were saying that, but um, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, we, we sort of know uh, at that early age that there's something missing, and we, we, we don't sort of fit in with the with the breadcrumbs that society sort of laying out for us. And I guess, you know, as a young fella, you were probably really intuitive and, and as you said, well, that ADHD thing might have been relevant, but, um, you know, that wasn't sort of discussed or even known about yeah. back then. But, um, yeah, I, I, I believe I was, I was pretty similar. A lot of people that know me as a young fella um, would, uh, would have been able to recognise that too. But, mate, I just think that that's not a disadvantage. You know, sometimes we are a little bit more... Um, I suppose you know different than the, the than the the pathway that's being created for us. We have got some sort of maybe some some different levels of consciousness and different ways of thinking that that you know we're not provided for. We don't actually have the ability to be able to follow things that we actually love and we're passionate about, and that sort of takes us into behaviours which can be self destructive. But it sounds yeah. it sounds like to me that you know you really got um, some 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 good. Uh, outlet from from sport and from football and uh, and that obviously um, was evident when you were able to you know I suppose be picked up um, throughout the I suppose the Queensland Queensland Academy the, the sort of pathway there and and then sort of made your way um, you know to greater things from that uh, from from that stage I suppose yeah look it happened really quickly like as I said I I you know back in the under twelves I I stood out and won. Um, some individual stuff to the, the competition that the I guess the state um, put together, and then uh, it was the first year of the Teal Cup, which is the under 17s back then, and um, I was only 15, so I was a year under, and I I don't know how I made it, but I made the All Australian team, so that put me on the radar of um, VFL clubs back then, mm. uh, and then the following year um, played the you know the Teal Cup again that year, but also our under 16 schoolboys year. Uh, we won the. We beat every state, so we had this team that just um, excelled in the in the in the competition. And again, uh, it was just those couple of opportunities where I was seen uh, by the right people at the right time, and I happened to perform at the right time. So um, you know, it started from there. It happened so quickly. It was just. It was like it was a real whirlwind looking back on it because mum and dad had just um, separated. You know, I'd just gone to uh, move in with a few mates as a sixteen-year-old. Um, you know, from the, the footy club I was playing with and, and all of a sudden Collingwood came and Carlton came and Hawthorne spoke to me and, like, it was just, I didn't know what the hell was going on because we, yeah. I barely watched footy up there. It was a, you know, the winners we watched uh, Monday nights or whatever it was, so it wasn't a huge thing, although it was a, you know, that uh, silent little pipe dream you have of how great that would be and, mm. and all of a sudden it was um, starting to happen for me. So it was, yeah, it was a bit of a... I'm not quite sure on that on that year or two there. I was just probably in shock still coming down to Melbourne, and um, you know, Mum moved down with me initially, which was awesome to get me um, settled and so forth. And first year we won the under nineteen premiership for Collingwood. I'm thinking, how good is this? This is just this is easy, mate. I was smoking dope and drinking, carrying on like an idiot uh, already, and um, and experiencing this success. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a snowball of effect from that. But yeah, coming from that non. Uh, AFL state was um, was huge. I guess it was a 
um, you know, huge gave a huge insight into what was expected and so forth. And uh, yeah, look, it was thoroughly enjoyable. I can tell you, mate. Um, look, it's it's obviously uh, it's it's been a, 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 like a, a synchronicity, I suppose, with the pathway that you're on now. But um, uh, we'll, we'll dive more into the whole journey. But you know, another guy that um, I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning his name, Rod Owen, that's been on the podcast here. He, um, yeah. he had a real journey, like he was swept up really quickly and just got consumed in this system and, and then had no support, you know. I, yeah. I guess you were lucky that you actually didn't uh, get injured or something went wrong with you where you were able to, you know, exit at such an early age. But, um, you know, I know back then the welfare side of things was just non-existent. Yeah, look, it, it, it wasn't, you know, and, and you're, you're, you're exactly right. I, and I remember I played on Rod a, a couple of times, I reckon, when he was at the Saints, and um, you just you just don't know what individuals are going through. And no, there wasn't... While they tried to have the support there, I think they had a pastor there that was that was there to support us in terms of uh, mental health and so forth, but I, I was never going to go and speak to anyone anyway. Yeah. You know, I was already addicted to cannabis but didn't know it. Um, you know, the, in 1988, my mum passed away and I guess the, the information I was given uh, from the footy club was, you know, just devote your footy career to your mum and let's move on and let's shuffle on and not worry about it. So I never grieved my mum's death, probably until 25 years later. How old were you then, mate? Uh, just turned 19. I uh, just turned 20, sorry. Oh, um, so if you saw me play a, a few games, but um, actually just turned 19. So she saw me play my first seven games and then she passed away at the start of 88. Jeez, um, yeah. So that's devastating, being away from home and that sort of stuff. But the And the support that I was offered, there's no... Um, I'm not criticising the footy club at all, but it's just what our society was. You know, if you're a man, you just um, ship up or shape out. You know, get moving and cop it on the chin and move on, whereas nowadays it's a lot different. So, yeah. uh, it's a, the, you know, the grieving process and I guess the support you would have, um, that they would get now would be completely different. They, mate, they'd have a couple of weeks off. Yes. Like we, I remember the guys that I lived with at Coventry House, um, I think mum passed away on the Monday, the funeral was on Friday in Queensland, and then I played in a practice match against North Melbourne on the Saturday. It was the first, last practice match for round one. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it was just crazy to think that how it sort of shuffled on. But, um, you know, that's a part of, I guess, my trauma story, you know, with my old man leaving and mum passing away. And then you look at Darren Malone, they're just excuses for someone like me to continue the bad behaviours and the, the drug use and so forth because it's uh, the only medication I know of that um, heals my pain. So, yeah. you know, that sort of continued on. Yeah, mate. Yeah, I appreciate you, you sharing that. Um, uh, certainly, you, you know, like your 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 story, uh, you know, which we'll, we'll go through is is very very common for people that have, don't have a profile. You know, uh, primarily, yeah. like there's lots of people out there that are that are in regional Australia or all around Australia that um, that, that are in their fifties and sixties now that haven't been able to overcome uh, the issues that are holding them back or sort of haven't been able to really, um, you know, dive deep into it or, or recognise it, yeah. I suppose. So this is where, you know, I just believe the lived experience that you have and, and so forth can can really help others to, to make changes. And, mate, so that was 88. So you played in a premiership two years later. Yeah, 1990 was the premiership year. So that was, I was, I think I just turned 21 for that. So, mm. um, yeah, again, it was just a, an enormous amount of success pretty quickly. But we... You know, we when I say that I was smoking dope and, and drinking, it was nothing more than anyone else was doing, although the guys weren't using drugs. You know, our, 
our drinking was a classic footy binge drink after a game. You'd go and reward yourself. Mm. The only thing for me is I, you know, I medicated with the, the dope night during the week so um, that was that component of it but that was a secret for me no one needed to know about that I lived on my own so I was happy um, with that component of keeping it a secret plus I was ashamed of it already I was embarrassed and you know I just didn't want to admit to anyone that I that I needed to do this one because they would have said no you're you're an idiot get off it Um, but two because it was just too difficult to even worry about but you know the the journey with the, the, the footy component you know that's a part of when I got uh, went into rehab, you know, ten years ago, like I, I when I first got well enough, I I wanted to actually get out there. And you know, when you speak to me, I'm as free as anything with any part of my story because of that exact reason. It, you know, if I'd have known that there was some, there was more support out there, some help, or that I didn't, there were other people that actually drank, used drugs, or behaved the way I behaved. You know, I might have been able to change it a bit sooner. Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing. We're so ashamed and embarrassed about our behaviour. Uh, we just don't... We, we just can't move into that help area. Yeah. And if someone ever had have asked me, you know, oh, geez, you're drinking too much, I would say, no, nah, I'm not drinking. We, you know, we minimise everything as well so, so people stay away from us. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just not healthier whatsoever. So the, the change that I've had over the last 10 years has been significant and it's been continual... I still, you know, every day I, I can, I learn something. Um, you know, I'm working in the field. I run my own business now, um, which is Cyber Living Rehab. So, you know, we've got 12 beds where we're supporting and helping people in the same position I was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really fulfilling, it's difficult work, but it's, um, it gives me a lot of purpose to be able to get people on track, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Well done. Um Mate, uh, yeah, obviously, like that—that—that's in its essence is humanity isn't trying to help another individual. If someone had come along years ago, you know, there's probably only Odyssey House in Melbourne that could have offered that support. But um, that was, you know, that was so far from from you know where where someone like you uh, wanted to go. Um, it was uh, it was probably un- unachievable. But mate, I reckon a real trigger would have come in 1990 when your your mate Darren Mullane passed away. Yeah, look, it was, and and I'd um, he was a close friend and a drinking partner and a good, great leader of the footy club. Um, so yeah, that was a, a huge shock to us. But you know, you know, I I use the example of after Panthers' uh, death, um, you could either do one of two things, and I did one thing. Mick McGuan did the other. Mick McGuan actually got off the off the source and. And he won the next two Copeland trophies, whereas I went the opposite mm. and I bought a pub with Peter Dacos. So, yeah. you know, I was 21, uh, 22 years old, uh, running a pub with, uh, with the great Macedonian Marble. And, <laughs> and I reckon through 92 and half of 93, I was at the crossroads basically because I was drinking before training and mm. I was injured all the time. So my self care went out the door, um, feeling sorry for myself and so forth. So, I, real, I was very close to being delisted and losing uh, the career I'd started simply because of my addiction. Mm. Um, but I was, um, I'm was i very grateful that I met a, a beautiful woman who is still my wife now, who, um, who we both were at the stage where we wanted to start, start doing things differently. Mm. Um, and I changed a lot of those behaviours. I didn't stop smoking dope, but I certainly... Um, I minimised the drinking anyway, so... And during my footy, my footy career, you know, I, I knew that if I, didn't, if I didn't have this footy career, 
I was going to be absolutely no one and I would have been in the gutter. So while I was addicted to drugs and probably drinking at the time, my footy career still meant uh, was more important to me. So I could actually pull up with things every now and again. And I tell you what, I trained my ass off. Like it was a, I remember Ben Cousins talking about his uh, footy career and some of the things the West Coast Eagles boys did through the 2000s. And, Mm. And he mentioned how they play hard, train hard, mm. but they party hard and they, re- they use it as a reward. Mm. And I related to that absolutely completely. Mm. You know, the better I played, the harder I, I hit it. Um, so it was, a, it was that reward for, for, um, for, a, you know, for training hard and playing hard. So mm. it was really interesting, um, you know, throughout the footy career, how it trans- transpired and sort of moved to different things. But it was, um, I, I think I'm very lucky that I was able to survive and play the, the length of time I played um, while doing the things I was doing off the field, that's for sure. No doubt, mate. Chasing a high consistently, you know, like you, you, you're putting in the work so you can get the reward and uh, and that can be a, a trap in its essence. But you, you, you think about like the way we're brought up to be consumers in modern society, you know, we, we think we achieve, we do something good, it makes our, our nervous system feel good and balanced and so we go chase something that makes us uh, feel shit out so it doesn't really make sense does it but um yeah uh you know we're, we're going around on this hamster wheel consistently but to be able to you know maintain that natural high is within all of us we just haven't been sort of taught the tools on how to do that well the thing is also like for, for someone like me i i had to stop and and then get to know actually who i was because i was just so uncomfortable with who I was yeah. uh, and I was a, a shame based person and I, and I think that came from my dad never really validating me so that then becomes a learned behaviour so I had all these little um, avenues that I knew of how to protect myself and, and that's how I protected myself and it's just a coping mechanism and a, and a tool that we learn like we, we, don't, we don't we're not born with these behaviours we, we learn them through our childhood and yeah. and some people medicate with illicit drugs and alcohol and, and others don't but it's a look addiction is such a complex um, disease and I'm telling you I, I used and drank for 28 years and I've now been sober for 10 and I still don't understand it like I work in this field as a professional and everyone is is completely different. Everyone's recovery is completely different. Everyone's using story is completely different. They do it for completely different reasons. Like it's just our brain is so complex. Um, it blows my mind still. Um, so it's a really difficult place to navigate. But uh, I, what I know is there's actually hope and there's a possibility for anyone. Um, and talking about my father, you know, I had a resentment towards him for most of my life until probably three years into my own recovery. And my wife said to me, um, you know, you need to, you know, have a, have a look at this differently. Um, and I sort of sat back and thought, you know, my dad died as a 72 year old, um, you know, no contact with his kids or anything like that. Um, a hopeless alcoholic, um, and died a really lonely, sad man. Mm. Um, and he was one person, I think what you spoke about before, there's many people in the rural communities that have, that have, behaved and drank or done what they've done for so long that they just can't see anything different yeah. and my dad was one of them it was he was just going to die at some stage from organ failure and and that's what happened and it's really sad and i was heading down that same path as well yeah. um so it's and there's those sliding doors where um you know i was really lucky to get into rehab you know I, I, my wife could have booted me out of home and said rack off but she actually investigated into rehab because she thought this is weird 
you know, he, he just he can't just walk from the family home and just leave. There's got to be something else because she didn't know about um, my addiction, obviously. She knew I drank too much and gambled but didn't know the extent. Mm. Um, and so if she hadn't have done that, who knows where I'd be right now. So yeah. Yeah, it's really, really complex and really interesting. So lucky, Gav. But at the end of the day, mate, you know, your dad had some trauma that he would have taken on from his father, possibly. For sure. And, and then from beyond that, mate. So so I often talk about it on this podcast. So we've got an opportunity now to heal like seven generations before us. So the next ge- seven generations yeah. can be better, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're, sure. you're, you're breaking the cycle, but... You know, a lot of that, a lot of that is, is in our bloodstream. You know, we're actually like yeah. we're, we're, we've got this uh, in our DNA when we sort of arrive on the planet, uh, and uh, and once we get uh, into drinking, it's like we've we've just got to like keep going with it, and um, uh, you know, it's just like it's it just our, our body just sucks it up because it's actually like part of us when we evolve as a as a human because dad passed it on to us and. Um, uh, you know, maybe mum drank too, and uh, and all of a sudden it's it's part of our makeup. And you know, I suppose when you were younger, when you first started drinking, it was probably pretty addictive fairly quickly. Yeah, look, I don't remember it that way. I I, I drank like an alcoholic that first time, mm. um, but but I wholeheartedly um, agree and understand that addiction can be handed down through our genes. Mm. Um, it just it's been proven scientifically overseas. That's exactly how I, like, that discomfort I had is what I class as that addiction brewing until we can find something to medicate. Mm. Um, and I agree, my, Leo, my, my dad's dad died, I think, in his early 60s. I would never never knew him or saw him. I don't, I don't know half the things that my father would have gone through. So, um, yeah, everyone's got their own trauma. And it's also, I spoke to my business partner who's had horrific trauma. She's 40 years sober, but, um, you know, with incest and and abuse and rape and all that sort of stuff. And, mm. and they talk about trauma. And I said, well, I haven't really had any trauma. And yeah. she said to me, well, your dad wasn't there. Your mum died. Your mate died. She said, there's trauma there in itself. And, yeah. and what, what is trauma for me? If you experience the same thing, doesn't mean it's trauma for you. Like, we, like again, it goes back to our brain and who we are. And it affects us all differently. So, um, you know, the trauma component's a huge part of addiction, as is genetics. Uh, I wholeheartedly believe in those two avenues to to get to the stage or where you cross the line to addiction. That's for sure. Yeah, well said, mate. And uh, I guess we were labelled when we were younger, back in the eighties and nineties and so forth. If you were behaving a certain way, you were seen as being a dickhead or whatever. But no one actually really understood uh, what was you know behind that behaviour or what was going on in your physiology, which was contributing to that. Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly parts of that, and then but then you look at well, why why do some like us when they're kids and have the predisposition to it and so forth? Why do some not pick up? Like they, yeah, it, that's where this this confusion comes for me. They like my I have a 19 year old son who struggles with mental health a little bit. We obviously educated our kids around addiction and being careful with drinking, and if you are going to try drugs just keep it to these ones and be very mindful, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, you know, and, my, and my middle son has all the traits that I had when I was a kid, um, but he doesn't, he doesn't drink. He doesn't right. like it. He doesn't take drugs, but he will get on the, on the computer and he'll game for hours. So yeah, yeah. Is that, it's a different avenue. It's like people trying to separate alcohol from drugs. It's all the same thing. And, and even myself now in, in recovery, I need to be wary because I, 
enjoy going for a good long run. So I run 12, 15 k's, and and that gives me that uh, adrenaline and that rush and that feel good. Mm. Um, but I need to be careful because if I, as you said before, also it's just never enough. Like it's a disease of more. I need more. I need more. And I always find myself doing the same thing when I run, and I go then get get myself injured. Yes. And then I go <laughs> into a shame spiral, and I get the shits, and yeah. then my mental health is affected because I can't run. Yes. Like it's a, it's a crazy addiction cycle. It's weird. Mate, I it resonates so well with me. I I I I'm the same. Like I I went from uh, you know being a poor health into all that sort of stuff and running, and I was doing you know well over hundred k a week and getting up early and all that, but then I realised uh, if I got injured, what would happen, you know? So that's that's when I learned meditation and that's when I learned yeah. yoga too, to actually understand how I could manage my nervous system without having to, like, you know, do all that physical activity because what's happening there, Gab, is your breath's getting into a nice, nice rhythm and then your, your mind's starting to settle. Both hemispheres are getting engaged here. And once right. that happens, you get that nice equilibrium and you, 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 you settle down, you know. So the, the running is, is great, but um, I sort of was lucky to sort of catch it out and realise that um, maybe if something did happen to me, then I would have got depressed really quickly possibly and that would, yeah. you know, take you back into those old lifestyle behaviours. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not um, at the stage where I'll go back to anything, but uh, I'm certainly... Um, I'm not in a meditative yoga mindset, mm. um, so I'm happy to keep push, <laughs> pushing this for a little bit longer yeah, until yeah. I can't and you won't. Yeah, that's true. Right? For me, mate, because it was so hard to, to, to be still. You know, that, that was yeah. the thing. Like, I was a kid like you, possibly with the ADD, which is like always having to be on the go or eat something or do something, you know. But really, mate, I'd love to be able to talk to you more about this, about doing some things that help you be still, like some yin yoga, for example, because that helps your body heal and that'll help your running, but that helps your mind settle and that teaches you to meditate, you know. It's not like just sitting yeah. there and burning incense and and uh, and getting, um, you know, into this zone or, or trying to force it. If you can use your body to settle the mind down, that's it's amazing what happens, mate. And I was exactly exactly the same. So it was very, very mm-hmm. difficult difficult for me because my body was so tight um, to be able to, you know, hold postures that, that, that help the body stretch. But really, mate, the mind was going 100 mile an hour. I just had to be patient with it and, and, and it can happen. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, my makeup's very similar to yours and, you know, it's something that I, I practice every day now. You know, I, I do this uh, before I go to bed, help sleep, but in the morning do some fitness and then do some meditation and that sort of gets you balanced, I suppose. And yeah. I, I think, you know, we, we're not using our, our minds well. We sort of get stuck. Like, you know, you might be waking up in the morning and, and being anxious about, you know, what you've got to do, uh, you know, that day to keep yourself, you know, functioning. That's cortisol primarily, but if you can learn how to um, reduce that cortisol and get back to that balance again, then you actually start to be a bit more clear, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I certainly understand the concept of it, and it was a, a huge part of my, my early years, you know, that meditation and, um, and the ability to stop and, and yoga and all sort of stuff. So, yeah, I hear you, that's for sure. Mm, but it's tricky, isn't it? Like, you know, this sort of stuff is pretty weird. Uh, you know, it would not have been talked about in the 90s when uh, when you and Tony Shaw and that were kicking around. You know, uh, blokes coming into these sorts of clubs uh, teaching this would have would have been laughed at. But uh, but now it's it's so much balance, mate. And and we and we we need to actually observe, you know, ourselves as humans to to develop 
to develop a, a balance between the yin and the yang, if that makes sense. So if we've got so much you know, on the go, the, 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 the yang, for example, then we're looking for booze and we're looking for stuff to be able to balance ourselves out. But if you can bring in well-being practices that actually keep that, um, keep that there for you, then you are a little bit more conscious, I suppose, with, with regards to your thoughts, feelings and emotions, which can take us um, you know, to make better choices against addictions, I guess, which is, which is a tricky thing. And it's not something we're taught in school, obviously, but um, I just think it's, uh, it's, it's timely that you and I are having this chat because I just think it can help a lot of, a lot of guys out there, you know, understand this stuff in, uh, in, in a deeper level, I guess, yeah. Well, it's certainly changed nowadays, like the, the footy, because I'm, I'm down at the footy club two days a week working for our past player group. So we um, put a bit of a plan in place um, over the last couple of years to just to take it to a different level, because they talk about support and mental health and uh, welfare and all sort of stuff, and, it, and nothing has really been done. So we're mm. um, going out on a limb and, and doing a bit from that regard. So I know what's going on down the club, and I'm you know thankful that the the footy environment, especially under Bucks when he was there, you know, their mindfulness and their yoga and their meditation are, are huge parts of of their footy um, development now. Mm. Um, and as you said, you know, when, I, when we were playing or back in the day, you know, we did yoga simply for the stretching component. It was nothing else. It was just about doing a few stretches. It wasn't the proper um, uh, holding poses and actually doing it for the right reason or for the, the reasons why yoga's so beneficial and and yoga is the the only sport that's been scientifically uh, proven to benefit people with addictions yeah. like we we do it in our program three days a week it's compulsory um it's a quietening of the mind it's you know being in position where you may be a little bit uncomfortable working through that stuff so mm. yeah i completely agree with that aspect of it but as i said the footy clubs nowadays um thankfully and i guess our community and, and society has changed a little bit as has I guess this macho male um, dominant type of approach to things where nothing can harm us, nothing can hurt us. Everyone's got a lot more um, feelings, which I think is awesome. Like if someone had spoke to me about my feelings when I was a 20 year old, I basically would have told them where to go. (laughs) And I'm not quite sure if I can swear on your podcast or I won't. Um, So um, yeah, so that component of it's, it's a really different concept, but it's, um, so beneficial. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's really, really good to hear you say that. A, a guy that's been on the podcast that I get on with really well is a fellow by the name of Steve Griffith, and um, I think he went into Collingwood and sort of, you know, helped him learn a lot of this sort of stuff, um, you know, probably up to 10 years ago now, and uh, that was really embraced by, you know, the playing group and uh, and uh, I think Nathan, obviously, as well. Um, you know, so that's obviously filtered uh filtered through the program there and um yeah just you know i just think as as men you know uh with this gave like we we just need to be able to understand that part of managing managing ourselves is to be able to manage our nervous system you know yeah. if you're if you're feeling like you, you really want a beer or you want to you want to smoke a joint or whatever if you can just learn a practice which actually helps you settle down then maybe the um the urge to to do something that's self-destructive mightn't be as relevant, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Look. Look. It's it's certainly a, a, a part of it. Yeah. Your the nervous system components well above my pay grade and, and my um, intelligence, but I I hear it. Um, the other thing that we do, look, what I think is really relevant for men, um, has been our inability to communicate things. And uh, you know, my wife can go out with a group of her friends and. Uh, go and have, you know, sit at a, a lunch table and there'll be, 
you know, four girls and there's three different conversations going at the one time and I'm thinking, how do you know what's going on? And, yeah. like, they verbalise everything that goes on for them. Women have an, an innate ability to be able to do that. And I'm generalising here, I'm not saying ever, all of them, but uh, most women can communicate what's going on for them, their feelings, they don't have any problem being honest about it. Whereas you get a group of guys together back um, when we were growing up, you know, you'd, you'd stand in front of the TV and watch the footy with a beer in your hand. It was just a grunt here and a grunt there. Yes. Like we don't, men just don't uh, express themselves uh, as well or at all. Uh, and I think that's a, been a, that's a huge component of even in the pro, sober living program at the moment. I had a group this morning with the guys about um, encouraging them to, to be able to be honest with your feelings and actually discuss what's actually going on for you because the more that shit that you hold, um, the more chance you've got of, as you said, the nervous system flaring up and, and those triggers appearing and um, and the drink doesn't look so um, far away when you're, when you're feeling like shit. Yeah. Um, so being able to express all that sort of crap can is certainly uh, helpful for, for men of, of today, put it that way. And uh, as I said, there, you know, I know Bucks and the Pies were huge on that connection and, and the honesty and it's, uh, I heard a few team meetings where I would have thought they were doing a process group at Sober Living. It was really empathetic uh, and, and it was just really positive for the group to, to let them open up and to feel comfortable in their own skins with a group of guys. Yeah, well said, mate. It's so good to see. You know, I, I, I through my time, I've gone into like regional clubs and talked about, um, uh, you know, mindfulness, meditation, all these sorts of things, you know, uh, men's health, well-being and... Once you start talking, um, it's amazing how the young fellas start to open up uh, and talk about their own experiences, but also suicide and people in their lives that, you know, that, they, that they, they know that have been affected by this sort of stuff and how they don't want to go down that path themselves and, and how quickly they can get there if they don't start to you know, uh, be, be able to be comfortable being vulnerable and communicate. Is that something that you've had exposure to? Has anyone in your life taken their life? Look, not not um, not close to me, as in family, relative-wise. But you know, in the service that I run over the last eight years, um, I, yeah, I've, I've, been a, I've experienced many. Mm. Um, suicide is one thing for me. I don't understand, and I and I and I never have. So I I, I leave it alone. Basically, mm. um, it's a really scary thing. You know, as I said, my, my middle son, um, when he was younger, um, you know, had thoughts and um, on where he was at and, and what he wanted to do, and, and, I, and I've never understood it, mm. uh, because even in the, the worst of the worst for me, um, not being here is, is the worst, basically. Mm. So I, I just, I can't imagine someone, when they're in the depths of, of, of that thinking, how bad it must be for them to be thinking of actually ending it. I just, mm. yeah, it's really, it's really scary. Um, it's very common, obviously, with what's going on uh, with COVID, especially down here, um, not to take it away from anywhere else, but being in lockdown, I think, for 220 days out of the last 12 months, it's yeah. just crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just a really, a really serious thing in our community. I don't have the answer for that one. I just... I, as I said, it's it's. I just don't know. I, I don't know how we can help those kids because I've tried with my son, uh, and I know I've got all the tools in the world now to try and get him to open up and to talk to me and express himself, but he just won't and he can't. Mm. So you, we sort of keep hitting a brick wall with him. 
uh, his yeah. mental health's okay at the moment, but it's still, you know, it's just scary to know that, you know, you know previously that he's had those sorts of thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really scary thing. I, I yeah, it's, I'm, I'm probably not the one, the right one to speak to regarding that because it's a difficult one. Yeah, yeah, appreciate that. Certainly, um, yeah, look, it's touched, you know, various people in various ways and so forth too, but, um, I guess, you know, when we have got, um, you know, things on in our lives um, that, that, that can put us into that, that, that low state, you know, just understanding that, that, that these things are impermanent, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, we can move through them and, and things can change, but it's just a, it's a process of self-awareness. And I just guess that, um, you know, a lot of guys that I've, I wouldn't say a lot, but like many of the young fellows that I've known over my journey and others that have, you know, that are no longer with us is you've just got got to a point where they just thought there was no other way and they felt hopeless and, yeah. and they took that action but I just uh, you know I'm going back 20 30 years more now for you know for my my upbringing and some some young fellows and so forth that I knew but I just wish that I had have known what I knew now back then so I could have maybe identified it and supported them and been able to help them um, you know move through it I guess. Yeah, look, and the simple fact that that would have been some empathy and some compassion, and, and that's one thing even back then that wasn't around, especially for men. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, men are incapable of being that way. But as I said, nowadays it's completely different, and um, you know, it's still it's still a battle for them. It's just it's really hard. I, I worry for our our kids, obviously, under the last couple of years of the climate on on where the education is going to be. You know what? What sort of roles are going to play in the in the community, and how their lives are going to be with the debt the the, the country's in? Like it's really really scary. But I guess the main thing, and, and we always talk about this with guys that uh, or people in our service who are basically obsessed to go and use. Um, we always promote the pause situation. You just pause and hold them off, and um, and just just give it another 10 minutes or just give it another hour or whatever it may be and mm. like feelings subside I, I know that that's a fact like the fear if i have a really shitty feeling now there's no doubt in a period of time whether it's one minute five minutes or five days that feeling will go yeah. um and if you can hang on long enough things will always be different and always be better uh, if you can hang on long enough so but yeah it's a yeah, it's a very scary um part of our um, I guess our lifestyle now is and uh, how easy it is for some just to go, okay, I'm, I'm done, and then um, pull the trigger and, and end it for themselves. It's pretty yeah. scary. Yeah, yeah, that's true, mate. And I guess that's been my um, passion is to be able to help people understand the emotional charge, you know, and, and, and why, yeah. these, why these things actually come. And I just believe, you know, uh, getting back to what I was saying before about managing ourselves, like if we can identify when we wake up how we are, to be able to either move the body quickly to, to get out of it or to sit still and, and do some stretching to, to, to get that balance again, I, I guess, you know, these are some of the things that we just don't understand within ourselves, like how how the chemistry in our body is working and how we've reacted to the way we've slept or whatever. Um, you know, yeah. and we don't sort of honour these things. Like we're, we're being denatured consistently in modern society, Gav, where we haven't got our feet on the earth, we're not out sitting around a fire, we're not doing all the things that nature really intended for us. So there's all these things that can put our nervous system out of whack, yeah. um, you know, and that can be like looking at a screen too much and, and eating the wrong food that's got, you know, 
um, I suppose, you know, the wrong stuff, which is knocking our, 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 our chemistry around consist- consistently. So there's a number of factors that can actually contribute to uh, the way our mental health is, uh, is going. And, you know, just to be able to help people identify that by, by giving them some, some simple pillars that they can, um, uh, you know, sort of address on a daily basis can really, I suppose, be helpful to help them uh, have a structure to, to manage their physical and mental well-being a bit better, I guess, yeah. Well, look, you're, you're spot on. And, and if you talk about, um, I guess, the generation of the last 10 to 15 years, and I'm not quite sure what it's like in the outback, but social media and, and the, the digital age, like, that just adds another uh, crazy dimension to it. You know what I mean? Like, mm. And the suicides that you, you talk about, especially nowadays, come so much from, um, you know, that, that abuse or the bullying or whatever it may be through online stuff. You know, my... My daughter was a really popular girl at school and there was these two girls that um, that were just painful and pests and they just wouldn't let up on her. Mm-hmm. And Tegan, well, her mental health was terrible for, for year 10 yeah. um, and she took it on board to move schools and all sort of stuff. So she had the courage to do that. But like, the social media aspect is just, it just adds another, another layer to the... Uh, to how dangerous it is and mm. um, and especially with suicides like I when you spoke about me being um, whether I'd experienced it you know in here, listening to you just then you know, you know two of my kids have had two or three of their friends um, uh, close and not so close um, take their lives for just what you would think are just crazy reasons like mm. it's just yeah. it's 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 crazy but you know the social media emphasizes it and um, and, and blows it all up into into something it's really not. Yeah, that that's true, right? and it's being conscious of that. And these are artificial things, aren't they? You know, they're, they're things that are happening sort of outside ourselves that are, that are affecting our behaviour. But just to be able to learn to switch off and, and disconnect from, from these sorts of things is so important because, you know, those those young girls, or, you know, those emotional charges, like we sort of discussed, will, will lead them to a course of action like that. But just knowing that this stuff is impermanent and it's going to pass. And, you know, yeah. I guess we've lost so many people, but also there's so many people have been sort of saved because they've actually like been aware that, um, that, that, that they can, you know, reverse uh, behaviours or, or um, you know, identify what other people are sort of saying to them and not be able to, you know, take on that uh, energy, uh, for example, like being resilient enough to actually like observe it for what it is and just leave it alone, I suppose, is so important too. Yeah, the, the expectations on, on on yourself, like it's like we're, we're big on like it, it's it's you know what it's simply okay to not feel okay, and I know that's a mm. cliche that's been used and so forth, but yeah. like it, it's exactly spot on. Like I don't wake up. In fact, I wake up every morning grumpy and in the shits because I'm just not a morning person. Mm. Simple as that. Mm. And previously, I would get the strap out or the whip and I'd give myself a whipping over it and thinking, well, why can't I just wake up and be happy and yeah. jump into the day? And I've learned that that's not me. Yeah. And you know what? That's okay. You know, my wife's a morning person. She gets up bubbly. She know, now knows that she needs to give me 45 minutes before I'm even able to communicate, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So being okay with, with whatever mood you're in, whatever state of mind you're in and, and not doing yourself over uh, because you're thinking it's wrong or incorrect or I shouldn't feel this way and so forth is a is another huge part of what we do in our service is, you know, it's okay to feel down, it's okay to be angry. We, we love emotions. 
the more feelings you have in a day, the better, um, because we know that you're processing things, but you don't have to live in them and wallow, and, and wallow in the self-pity of, of the bad emotions, and mm. you don't have to ride the high ones for too long if they're not relevant. You know, it's it's really interesting, those the, the feeling concept, that's for sure. Mm, well said, mate. It's interesting because we all have, uh, we're all different, you know. We're, we're, we're sort of uh, conditioned in Western society be, to be the same, but everyone's different, yeah. you know. Your body type's different than mine, and what you ate before you went to bed last night will, will, will affect you differently than what it would for me, yeah? and that sort of thing, you know. But we're all sort of told to do the same things, but really at the end of the day, you know, we are. We are unique as individuals, and we're just got to find what it is that gives us that balance within ourselves so we can yeah. be a bit more vibrant, I suppose, at the end of the day, yeah. Yeah, you're spot on. And that's like when you, when, when you talk about recovery goals and, like, being clean and sober, like, I say to our guys all the time, what worked for me, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. Yep. In fact, it probably it's probably not going to work for you. So we'll give you a whole range of different things to try and it's like you've mentioned with the yoga meditation the nervous system stuff well that's a really key component if it doesn't work look for something else that can stimulate that area as well because there's plenty of options yeah and i reckon we sometimes will try something no it doesn't work and that's it we stop yeah like it's just get keep going try something else look for something else and keep looking to to find that fulfillment and i guess that uh, for me, it was just filling my soul with some really healthy options, mm. um, and I find I, and I've found some, and then sometimes they drop off, and I've got to find some more. And it's about that um, integral, just continual growth and and learning about ourselves because we just, you know, as I said before, who I was ten years ago is just polar opposites of what I am now. Yeah. But I I didn't jump from from that to this, you know, in in a second. Like it's a progression. And I, you know, if if I don't continue to change, I might as well go and drink and drug again, because yeah. it's not worth it otherwise. So, um, you know, and we're all capable of of change. That's for sure. We've just got to. There's just a bit of effort and a bit of motivation to. Uh, and then if you've got the support, which is even um, makes it more handier, um, you know, we can get there. Well said, mate. Again, um, it's interesting because our bodies change every seven years, and we need different things in our life. Uh, you know, than what we did when we were, you know, 30, 40 uh, or, you know, 20 uh, and so forth as well. So we've actually got to be aware that you know, our body's asking for different things at different stages. Ah, that, is that what it is? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we, 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 we have all these physiological, um, you know, requirements in our life. And it's just like with women, they get menopause, mate. I'm sure, guys, we go through this sort of stuff too, primarily. We just don't, don't we're not aware of it. But uh, when, when we get into our 40s and 50s and so forth, some stuff really happens, mate, and we can't eat the big steaks like we used to and all those sorts of things, you know, as much. And, and that can really have an effect on our mental uh, health as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very uh, fascinating, that's for sure. It is, mate. So how can people get hold of you, Gabe, if they're wanting some assistance with regards to, um, you know, helping them out to... to Get off uh, drinking, or uh, or make some uh, some changes in their life. I can certainly be contacted through our, our website. So soberlivingrehab.com.au is our, our rehab website. Um, yeah, contact me through there, and I can um, uh, and then uh, redo the favour, and then contact them back if they want to. Look, I'm I'm happy even just for a chat and whatever um, within within reason, obviously. Um, I know obviously you guys up there, if anyone from Victoria is listening to this, they can certainly give me a call about um, popping over or whatever. But, um, you know, I'm happy to talk to people just to 
um, to work them through whatever they're going through. It's just, you know, when you're in that state of mind of just that relentless hopelessness of, of the misery of addiction, I, I just, I so understand how painful it is. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, with the communication and the right people, there's certainly ways of um, being able to change all that sort of stuff. Yeah, thanks thanks for that, mate. I suppose, yeah, people can reach out to me if they want to touch base with you and also look at the Sober Living Rehab uh, website. And um, yeah. as you know, mate, and as I know, don't be afraid to do it. Like, just if, you, if, you, if you're thinking of uh, making some changes, like, just, just you know, you procrastinate. Well, guys procrastinate, as we do, uh, all the time. But, you know, the positives will, will, will certainly outweigh the negatives once you sort of start the process and, and start to get the support from someone like yourself that's got the lived experience that can actually help someone that's walking the same path, mate. Yeah, look, the, and, and that's and that's what also can be done too, which is how I would have done it, like, because I w- would have been a bit of a hider for sure. Yeah. Like, you can send an email through the website and it comes directly to me and you can start an email conversation. Yep. So that that takes a bit of the, um, the social anxiety sort of stuff away from it. Just write it all down. Again, journaling is a key component. I know you mentioned yoga, meditation, that sort of stuff. Journaling is a really important thing for us to get shit out and yeah. to be able to express ourselves differently, and it's a and it's a really cathartic approach. And not many people like doing it, um, but it's a, but to, if you get a if you learn the skill of of being able to do that, it's so helpful. Okay, so I'm, nice. I'm happy to start that with anyone that wants to email as well. Um, but yeah, certainly reach out. Don't don't ho- don't hold on to any of this sort of stuff. If you're thinking of doing it, just do it. Um, and yeah, it's either through one of us or the or our website is completely fine. And um, you know, just if you're going to have have expectations on yourself, have expectations on the fact that things can be different. Um, because we get into that hopeless state and we just don't, we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm telling you, it's there. You've just got to start walking towards it. Yeah. Cheers, Gav. Guys, I uh, hope you found that helpful. Um, yeah. Look. Pretty amazing story, uh, Gav, like being able to go through uh, such a, a long career and, and being able to sort of, uh, you know, do that with uh, with such uh, reliance on addictions. So if he can do it, um, anyone can. So I really encourage you uh, to reach out or maybe reach out to me and um, uh, I can put you in contact with him. Uh, completely confidential uh, as, uh, as you would appreciate. So... Um, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, hope you found that helpful. If uh, if someone else that uh, you may know uh, may find it helpful, please uh, share with them. To reach out to me, email support at backmind.com.au. The website is at backmind.com.au. Appreciate you joining in and, and listening to these podcasts, guys. Uh, really grateful for that. Uh, there's more uh, awesome guests coming up soon, so please keep sharing them and uh, and keep uh, keep joining us here. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>